0: I'm here with our Winter astrofix with Robert Phoenix, and we're going to be looking at some some planetary alignments that actually have some benefit to us. It's been kind of scary the last year or two, and while we still have some challenges going on, certainly, um, in terms of the cosmic effects on our life, there there are some bright spots coming up this winter. So without further ado, let's go to Robert. Hey, Robert, good to see you again.
1: Always great to be with you, Regina. Thanks for having me.
0: Nice background, brand new. You, you keep moving them around. You're trying to get just the right feel. I can see th- it. I, th-
1: I, th- I think I have found the, the right tableau to represent.
0: <laughs> it's working. So Robert, let's launch right into this. So first thing, you and I have already had a pre-conversation, to kind of so I'd have some idea where to go with you in the conversation. One of the first big things is Jupiter in Sagittarius, which has It can have a little bit of a challenge, but it also has some real upsides. And I think people are desperately looking for upsides. May the force be with us instead of against us. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with Jupiter and Sagittarius.
1: Yeah, you know, in order to understand Jupiter and Sagittarius, I think we have to just go back a little bit and um, revisit Jupiter and Scorpio because there's a real intelligence behind astrology and the progression of the signs. So for the past year, we've had Jupiter and Scorpio, and Jupiter expands into, you know, fairly uh, dark, forbidden, intense areas in Scorpio. And there was a lot of, um, I would say, introspection that was taking place in 2017, uh, unearthing of kind of, you know, really dark psychological matters. You know, a lot of the hashtag me too stuff came up under Jupiter and Scorpio, some of the child stuff and child trafficking came up under Jupiter and Scorpio. And, you know, when we go through a Scorpio phase, we're reformatting, you know, we're going through a a very deep and profound transformational process. And that transformational process, at some point it congeals, right? It it stops being a transformational process and we get to the end of something and, and that's where Sagittarius comes into play. Sagittarius allows us to make sense of what we've just gone through at a much higher level. Okay. So when somebody has, let's say a a religious experience um, it could take certainly be in that kind of scorpionic realm where things shift and transform and then they have to come out of that experience with some sort of blueprints or some kind of plan or something that, that gives a, a voice To this experience. This is where Sagittarius comes into play. And so when we have Jupiter and Sagittarius, we're in a phase now where we've moved out of Jupiter and Scorpio and whatever it is that we've learned, whatever it is that we've extracted, both on a personal and on a social level, you know, we want to create something that's bigger, something that gives meaning to our experience. That's the nature of Jupiter and Sagittarius. So that can actually be really helpful
0: can i just insert one thing about jupiter and scorpio i mean jupiter is generally thought to be a benevolent planet right and jupiter and scorpio can also mean your finances can go well alongside these revelations and challenges and i just have to say uh having some planets in scorpio that last year was both the most difficult on a kind of a personally challenging level with issues surrounding you know our family Um, It was, on the other hand, an incredibly prosperous year uh, in terms of bringing business uh, possibilities together and finances and so forth. So it was a double-edged sword and it was an extreme. So I think I really got the Jupiter and Scorpio experience.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, well, absolutely. It plays a big role in your chart. You're a Scorpio. And then, you know, you and I were talking about um, a book that you're getting ready to publish. Yes, that's right. Which is right in alignment with Jupiter and Sagittarius, which rules publishing. Jupiter is going to go into your eighth house, which is other people's money. So, you know, I think your prosperity is going to continue to be on a roll here. Yeah, I just
0: bring that up because it's kind of a validation of the light and the, the heavy and the light side of Jupiter from someone who was Scorpio. So now we're getting out of Scorpio. We're moving to Sag. So let's look at what the potentials are in Sag for everybody.
1: Well, the potential for everybody with Jupiter and Sagittarius is to have a much more expanded view of their life, um, their role in the universe um, in sort of the grand scheme of things, and also to see the world in, you know, much bigger terms. You know, Jupiter and Scorpio is incredibly expansive. And at some point when we get to the end, this is going to happen, it's going to actually happen very close in March. Jupiter goes from basically zero to 24 degrees, so it has a a pretty um, sort of deep impact in our lives because every sign has 30 degrees and Jupiter gets to 24 degrees in March, which means it's going to be just three degrees off the galactic center, right, which is really kind of interesting. We won't see that again until the final phase of Jupiter going through that final decan and that's going to be taking place in uh, November-December of 2019. So, but what, what Jupiter is going to bring, potentially, is a sense of, you know, hope, optimism, uh, that, that things actually might be able to work out, especially if we adopt the, the right philosophical, the right spiritual, or, or in some instances, kind of the, the right religious perspective, in order to get us through, you know, harrowing times. This is a really powerful time for people to exercise their faith muscles, because that's when Jupiter and Sagittarius really kicks in. And this is, you know, we've been through a time where our faith and a lot of our institutions has has been dramatically challenged, and Jupiter and Sagittarius can kind of bring some expansion into that area. You know, the other thing that Jupiter and Sagittarius is really good for, this is along the lines of faith is to get out, right? Get out of your small little world. Get out of your small little ruts. Meet with people from different cultures, different countries, different backgrounds. Get out into nature. Put your cell phone down. You know, go to a, a, a coffee house or a bar where, where people don't use cell phones. Strike up conversations. You know, this is Jupiter and Sagittarius in action. Because... The opposite sign of Jupiter is—I'm sorry—Sagittarius is Gemini. We live in a very Gemini-oriented world, like one-on-one, right? We're talking on the cell phone. You and I are doing this, and that's fine, right? Jupiter and Sagittarius brings us out of out of that, and brings us to a, a much larger vista in our place in the cosmos.
0: So far, it sounds like a total breath of fresh air. Is what I think? What everybody's hoping to hear is that there is. Uh, some cosmic assistance, um, a little bit of light shining in on it here. So good. Yay. Get outdoors. Be authentic. Truth to power. Uh, right? All of it.
1: Yep, absolutely. The downside a little bit, because every everything has a bit of a downside, you know, when we talk about astrology, even when Jupiter's in its own sign, or Sagittarius is represented by its own planet here, uh, is that sometimes when we get into Sagittarius, there's such a sense of self-righteousness oh, that, yes. you know, that that you know people. Well, I know the truth. This is true, you know, and it can it can be you know borderline kind of you know jingoistic. And there are times when Sagittarian uh, Sagittarian energy can kind of bleed into bigotry, and that's sort of the downside with Jupiter and Sagittarius because Jupiter brings us more of something. Yes, it's benevolent, but it also increases the potential. Yes, or whatever sign it's in. So I think that's something that, you know, we, you know, we'll, we'll see over, uh, 20, 2019. The other thing that I, you know, and you and I didn't quite go over this, but it really came to, you know, kind of seep back into my consciousness, especially when we get into the Jupiter Neptune squares, which are going to be a big part of, of this winter and moving through 2019 is that there's going to be this energy where people are looking for savior type figures. You know, so there's this potential for, you know, this kind of undercurrent of messianic energy in 2019. So just keep your eye on that, whether it's somebody who runs a group, uh, somebody who is uh, in the media, somebody who represents a certain religion or belief or faith, uh, this is the year where you're going to see some of those figures emerge.
0: Well, I have to say on that note, um, I received an email recently from someone, um, I'm sure very well-intentioned person, who had a particular guru that's being put out there right now. And they asked if I would be interested in interviewing them obviously to promote their presence on earth as the one and only right and I said you know that's not my bag (laughs) I do not support gurus in general I support self-development self-reflection authenticity you know really bringing yourself to the table as your own inner authority. And so hopefully I didn't offend him too much, but I thought that's the first time I've gotten one of those in a while where someone's putting up someone as the one who's come to save us. And it's like a big no for me (laughs) anyway. So thanks for bringing that up. So we know not to be vulnerable to those kinds of messages.
1: Yeah. There are
0: some good people out there, but we still, we have to learn to have our own discretion and listen to ourselves now.
1: Right. I mean, I, I, I think the, the real message of the Aquarian age is that we're all each other's teachers. Yes. I mean, that's really sort of the distillation of it.
0: Absolutely.
1: And, and, there's, and nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So.
0: No, nothing wrong with it at all. We just have to take it on and really learn those skills for ourselves. So we're not so vulnerable in the future to the hoodwinking that's gone on en masse you know, that's brought us to the situation we're in right now. Okay, on that, okay, the next one we have written down here is January 24th. There's not exactly a grand trine, but there is something similar to a grand trine between Jupiter, Mars, and Venus. And what, what is that going to mean to us?
1: Okay, so what we're going to have at that point in time, it's not. It's, uh, if we throw in the moon and Leo, which is going to be happening right around there, then it will constitute a grand trine. Because we're talking about you know fire signs right so Mars is going to be in Aries Venus will be in Sagittarius uh, Jupiter will be in Sagittarius and of course for that brief window of time we'll have the moon in Leo so when we have grand trine energy there's a lot of positivity there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, there's a lot of optimism and that's you know kind of an interesting time of year for it to happen because We've gone through the holidays. We've gone through the new year. It's kind of that you know laggy, draggy back end. You know, as to, you know, and, and we've got this energy that's going to be available at that time, which could be really, really positive. It's sort of like a kind of a, a turbocharge or a supercharge or a boost in our lives. And you know, the whole thing with transits uh, is that you know we want to be able to take advantage of them and integrate them into our lives. You know, life is about momentum. And, you know, really, really positive astrological aspects can certainly add momentum into our lives. And that brief period, that little window there, roughly from about the 22nd to about the 25th, represents some of that energy that could, you know, really give us kind of a a nice winter season boost. So write it down, January 24th to
0: 27th, roughly. 22nd about the 25th right around there 22nd to 25th okay good okay excellent okay Mars and Pisces and that goes through the end of the year which is kind of interesting representing the 12th house we were talking about this prisons hospitals what's this mean
1: yeah so Mars and Pisces is really anytime you get Mars on a water sign because Mars represents fire the masculine principle Um, the water signs of course are, are feminine the closest Sort of, uh, you know, correlation to a a water sign that really works to be Scorpio, because Mars was the original home of Scorpio, so they've got like a little, little thing going on there. Uh, But uh, when Mars gets into a water sign, you know, the energy can be can be turgid, it can be hot, it can be steamy, um, it can be at times. You know, with Cancer, it can be passive aggressive. Uh, Mars and Pisces can be. If it's if it's directed, if it's if it's moved and channeled in the right direction, it can be effective. If you're creative or you're imaginative, or you want to get involved in you know quote unquote good works, you want to be um, you know kind of humanitarian and help people. Mars and Pisces has has a place, it has a context. But when we also get into Mars and Pisces, we get into anytime we get into Pisces, we talk about things like. You know, like the savior, the hero, the scapegoat, right? We get into these very kind of religious connotations. and Quite often, Pisces winds up, you know, kind of taking a hit. You know, we, you know we've had this discussion before about how Pisces can really amp up victimization. And, and, you know, finding, you know, there's always something, you know, wrong in this person or that person or the world around us. And it, it keeps us from taking... You know, real kind of self-possession of what's going on inside of our own lives. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of this with Neptune and Pisces and Chiron in Pisces. It's been really kind of a parade of victims and being rewarded for their quote unquote heroism. Right or wrong, right? This is this has been a theme. Mars and Pisces amplifies that energy. It brings it up, right? That's part of it. So, the other thing that you and I talked about is that, um, you, know, I, you know, I talk about false flags a lot, and Mars and Pisces, especially when it, like, by the time this airs, we'll have already gotten into a Mars-Neptune conjunction, and that's going to happen shortly after you and I have recorded this, and that's prime territory for things like obfuscation, details being really fuzzy. And when we get into Mars, we're into martial energy and guns and violence. And, you know, there's, there's I mean, we've been dealing with this energy for a long time now with Neptune and Pisces and Chiron and Pisces. Mars is an amplification of it. And I think we've got to be really, really discerning over the, of the course of the next few weeks up until we get into that Mars change or that Mars shift on January 2nd where it goes into Aries. Use lots of mm-hmm. discernment. You, you also talk happening out there, always always go through the facts, go through what you know, try to understand what you don't know. And here's the other thing. Don't be so quick to take a position, right? Because Mars represents action. We want to jump into things. And with Pisces, it's not always clear. So I know a lot of people like to share information. We're in that age. you know just you know think before you hit you know, send, or think before you hit print.
0: A couple of things we talked about in our prep is you were saying that um, you talk about false false flags a lot, but you said some recent events, such as the um, shooting of a school in Kentucky and a Chicago prison were not false flags. These were, in in your opinion, these were Mm -hmm. events that were playing out organically, and also that there were some drills going on, again, because you said hospitals and prisons are implicated, um, in this, this astrological aspect. And you were talking about drills being staged at a
1: hospital, which yeah, yeah. So that's the, pretty the, weird. What's going- a couple of interesting factoids. So what I was referring to was there was a, a, a shooting in a hospital uh, in Chicago. And it was, it was a, like a real shooting. Like there was a guy that went in with a gun and apparently his wife or his girlfriend you know, teed him off, and he went after her, and there was a shooting. Now, what was really interesting about that shooting is that the media didn't cover it. Like the media kind of left it alone. You know? Oh, for, I see.
0: You're With yeah. the implication being on false flag events, it's all set up for media exposure. Where for organic events, you're saying those are the ones you don't really see in the news. Those are
1: the ones we don't hear about. The false flags are the ones that you know we're hearing about them two days in advance when they post the. You know, when they post the headline on 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 some website, it shows up on Google search. I mean, I'm being a little overdramatic about it, but you can tell the difference between something that I believe is staged versus something that's actually real. The staged events get tons of press. You know, really interesting kind of sidelight to all of this. So we had this event um, right after the um, the midterms, which took place in this synagogue in, in uh, Pittsburgh right? Mm -hmm. These people were killed. You know what's really interesting about that event? The guy who supposedly did that, this Robert Bowers character, you don't hear hide nor hair of him, nor the legal proceedings. I mean, you would think at some point, because he wasn't killed, right? You would think at some point he would appear before a judge. There would be some kind of video document or record that he had done this and there's nothing. I mean, this guy has just disappeared.
0: Okay, now that that is interesting because normally you do see quite a media circus around these things. I want to bring up just another point of view, though. Um, I just happened to be reading a feature article on what's happening as a result, result of Trump and the circus around Trump. What's happening to the news networks? And it was interesting because um, I believe it was MSNBC, but but. Um, one of them, it could have even been Fox, it was featuring several different networks, was saying that they don't want to be constantly covering Trump, but he obviously he's adding enough entertainment value that people seem to be addicted to it. And they say we try to go off Trump cycles, and what happens is the audience leaves, goes to another network trying to find more Trump. And so the things that should be covered aren't being covered. This was from the news director at one of those networks I just mentioned. I thought that was kind of interesting, too. And I don't know if this is a case of that. But I do want to go into, you can comment on that, but I do want to go into this drill that was happening at Walter Reed. I, I don't quite understand. Where yeah,
1: so, so let's talk a little bit about that. Again, we're dealing with Pisces. That's a hospital. The 12th house represents hospitals uh let's see what else hospitals nightclubs uh sanitariums halfway houses anything prisons anything that we don't see right or we don't go to it's not part of our kind of daily affairs it's a 12th house kind of experience so last week there was this weird like live shooter drill so we have mars again you know guns violence live shooter drill at Walter Reed, which is a pretty significant hospital yeah. in Bethesda, Maryland, and people were locked down. You know, they were, you know, they were, you know, doing their, you know, cowering sort of, you know, posture or whatever they do. But one of the thing, one of the things that made this a bit different was that there was a congressman inside that hospital at that time. This guy by the name of Dutch Ruppersberger, is a Democrat from Maryland. I guess he was getting some sort of a checkup. So all of a sudden this live shooter experience happens and it was kind of a big deal. I mean, there were cop cars everywhere and I don't know whether it got just simply triggered and was an accident or whether it was really kind of a live drill about to happen or something was going to take place. And then they found out that a U.S. Congressman was inside of that building. I don't know what the story with that was but it's really, really weird. And it was a total Mercury retrograde moment, number one. And number two, dealing with Mars and Pisces. Right. Just
0: exemplifying that dynamic you're talking about, about hidden institutions in this kind of intersection with violence or potential violence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, you know, uh, a fellow I know who works at a hospital in Arizona has been going through live shooter drills at this hospital. So I, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, if people want to be informed, and and I really believe that if we have the type of consciousness that can kind of hold the space for these things to sort of, you know, happen or not happen in the universe or, you know, in our world, we can actually change these events.
0: Yeah, and there's another side, too. I mean, the other side of... Pisces is also humanitarianism, generosity, compassion. So this isn't without its high potentials as well on that level of consciousness you're speaking of.
1: Oh, I I totally agree. And again, if we bring it back to the personal with Mars and Pisces, if you're creative, if you're imaginative, um, if if you really want to actively practice some compassion and some empathy, even forgiveness in your life, Mars and Pisces can be, can be quite good. And again, by the time this airs, will have been past this Mars-Neptune conjunction, um, which, is, which will be very interesting to witness over the course of the next few days.
0: One thing still coming up, I mean, everything from this point in our conversation is coming up. Just a couple of things rolled back to about a week ago from the time you see this. And that is the full moon in Gemini on December 23rd. And you say this is going to make us feel closer to one another. This is another one of those kind of feel-good, bright-light moments.
1: Yeah, it's going to happen on the 21st. So it's interesting, you know, 12, 21, we're going to get that full moon in Gemini. Um, actually, it's going to be, I take that back. It's going to be, my bad. It's going to be a full moon in Cancer, not full moon in Gemini. Okay. So full moon, it's going to be a full moon in Cancer, and uh, yes, it does have the power to bring us back into sort of a, a place of more connectedness, and you know, this, it, we're in a big Cancerian cycle right now, and the Cancerian cycle is, is, I mean, we could talk about it a little bit if you want. We've got the true node in Cancer. You know, we're starting off. We're going to have this full moon in Cancer. And those cancerian values are, are the things that connect us. They, they bring us a sense of family and emotional content and security and, you know, continuity consistency into the future as well.
0: Yeah, I and mean, it's interesting because again, um, I'm just noticing I take stock of things in my own life and look at look around me to see how this reflects in the world. And I stumbled across another one of these magazines uh, at Whole Foods, and it was called Mary Jane's Farm. And I thought, how retro is that? I've got to check it out. Um, I picked it up and it was just the, the sweetest, very, a couple of very powerful women women involved, they've been involved in legislation and um, progressing into healthier realms of organics, the, the dairy industry, the, the farming industries and so forth. And they've uh, this one woman, Mary Jane Butters, took over a, a mill, a grain mill, and started offering these in, incredible organic heirloom grains and such. But the thing is, it's kind of down home, things you can do at home to bring forth a better kind of health, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, physically as well, a health profile for you and for your family if you choose to kind of go there. So I showed it to a group of women I was with the other day and they all immediately resonated with it. And I would not have guessed that at least half of them would have. And I thought, it's interesting. We're all looking for something real that we can sink our teeth into and have positive effect through.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, you know, there's this interesting correlation right now in the cycle that we're in, in what uh, how uh, Strauss and Howe talk about as the fourth turning. And in the fourth turning, there's this collapse of these external structures, and we've kind of reached this sort of this zenith, and we're headed down on the other side of this, you know, sort of peak experience. Mm-hmm. So these these structures that have supported us, whether they're you know, corporate or government or whatever they are, they're collapsing. I mean, whether whether it's positive or negative, you could see something like, you know, Sears collapsing. I mean, that's yeah. part of kind of what we're talking about. But on the other hand, there there's an opportunity, and Strauss and how talk about this, as a return to the local, or retur- you know, and that's local politics, you know, more Main Street. You know, this is right up the alley, you know, what, what you were talking about with this magazine. And um, so we're we're entering into a phase now with the true node in cancer where over the next year and a half, we're going to begin to explore and integrate more of that energy, which I think is, you know, really important and, and essential as the South Node goes into or will be in Capricorn and those Capricornian institutions begin to decline. Here, I'll give you an example. It's not always about the United States. There are other countries in this world and I, I don't know if, if you're following what's taking place in france with the rise in fuel costs and yes. you know these the, the yellow vests and so forth right the french have a very strong they may not the french may not necessarily uh, uh, be the, you know world beaters per se but they have a very strong relationship to their culture they have a very strong relationship to to being to being french and i think based on what's happened uh, to France over the last say 10 years and not just France but other countries in Western Europe They're they're they're, they're oversaturated with this kind of you know force-feeding of international uh, politics International identity and in fact as we speak today There are nations in Western Europe that are going to boycott the UN's charter meeting on their migrant compact, okay This is really important. Now, if you look at what's happening in France, just yesterday, Macron was um, in front of a group of elite French firefighters, and they all turned their back on him. And this this is really, in a lot of ways, quite shocking, because Europe is also a country that's steeped in protocol and tradition. And when you do something like that, that's a big deal. That is... The true node in cancer, making its 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 feelings uh, or its its emanations felt in the collective, and we're seeing that again with these countries in Europe who are not—they're going to boycott this migrant compact. This is this is truly because the UN and these international bodies represent capricorn, and their power is diminishing whether we understand it or not, whether we you know can perceive it or not, their power is diminishing and there's a real tidal shift taking place. So keep your eyes yeah. on it.
0: It seems about. like, yeah, it seems like the, the long-term effects of globalization are starting to overwhelm people and overwhelm cultures, overwhelm individuals to the extent that they're starting to reject sure. everything in hand. And this has, this has, you know, extended consequences, both good and bad. But you can certainly understand where it's coming from, especially as you say, when this kind of force feeding of international um, doctrines and such as are, are happening across the board, where people think, no, I just kind of want to relax. I just, I just want to know my neighbors again. You know, there's a lot of that going on. And Um, it'll be interesting to see where it all lands because, of course, you want to have a a desired outcome where you're going to respect and honor as many human beings as you possibly can and give each other a leg up in life. And at the same time, you want to be able to feel your home, your family, your town, and your own culture as well. And how do you merge that, you know, in a peaceful way? Right now, it's not a peaceful merging is what I'm seeing.
1: No, it's it's not. And, you know, I mean... At the risk of getting all Jupiter and Sagittarius here. I mean, what the analogy would be, you know, we're dealing and I don't want to I don't want to make kind of this analogy, you know, in a insensitive kind of way, but we deal with pathogens all the time in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. And when we're healthy, you know, we can deal with foreign bodies coming into our body. We can assimilate them, deal with them, whatever. But when we're not healthy and we're in an environment where we're flooded with something, our bodies break down. You know, we can't assimilate, you know, whatever it is that we're taking in. And we have we have reactions. Right. This is a biological. So countries are having a biological reaction to what's taking place inside of their borders because it's happening too fast, too swiftly. You know, they don't have, you know, systems set up. They're not healthy in terms of their own economic output. And so what, what all these countries in Western Europe, and even to some extent here, are going through is a healing crisis. Right. We're going through a healing crisis. And their immediate response is, what happens? Well, if you're sick, you don't want to go outside. You want to stay away from other people. Number one, because you don't want other people to get what you have. But you might pick up something else because your body's down. So what we're seeing now is this reaction. And it's kind of like the human body. It's all taking place now in Western Europe. Interesting.
0: Okay. Well, um, let's go to – shall we move on then to – we have January 21st. Oh, we have Mars and Aries at the beginning of the Uh year. Early, early January. What yeah, so Mars, January
1: 2nd, Mars goes into Aries and, you know, starts off, you know, with a bang. is a real bang. And uh, so we'll be dealing with, I mean, it's it's good. I mean, it's good energy at the beginning of the year. I mean, it's not, you know, so it's like, let's get going. Let's make things happen. So if you are a person that is kind of synced up with the Gregorian calendar and you see the new year as an opportunity, to do something new, do something different, start, start a project, follow through on an idea. Mars and Aries couldn't be better, right? It's great energy to start the year. means there's
0: actually some momentum if you decide to do a gym membership on January 1st. You might actually. Very (laughs)
1: athletic. You probably do. Wait till till the second. You don't want to get in there in that (laughs) 20 devices. But unless you're doing a swimming membership. uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, if you want to follow through in the gym membership at the beginning of the year, Mars and Aries would be terrific. Of course, we get into Mars and Aries, you know, we'll also look at things like, you know, violence, statistics, Previous year, and you know it's a hot energy. It's a hot yeah. energy starting to starting the year off. So, you know, I tend to like to like to look at things from a positive perspective, and I think that's a good way to you know kickstart initiate your own personal year.
0: I like it. Okay, January twenty first, Mars Saturn square.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, even though we're going to have a lot of this, you know, can do, make it happen, pioneering. Uh, tap into the will Mars energy. When it squares against Saturn, it's like it's a grind because Mars says I want to do this, want to make it happen, but Saturn, who's represented by supervisors, bosses, people that run things, fathers, presidents, governments, say no. Right? That's the nature of a Mars Saturn square. So on an individual level. That's a period where we're all going to go through this. We're all going to go through some level of, you know, we're ramped up. We're moving. You want to keep the energy moving at the beginning of the year. What you have to do with the Mars Saturn square is you have to slow down a little bit. You know, you can't, you can't force and slam through it. You've How long does it last, Robert? How long um, does it last? It's, brief. it's brief. We got to, you know, just a couple of days. Okay, Mar- good. Yeah. Mar- Mars transits generally last about four to five days. So, Roughly about a week going in and a week, you know, five days going in and five days going out. From a bigger perspective, from a collective perspective, that's interesting because, you know, we're dealing with a lot of Saturnian, Capricornian energy now. And we will be, you know, for roughly the next, you know, two years when we have Saturn and Capricorn and Pluto and Capricorn. Mars and Aries is a pushback. Okay. Mars and Aries says, you know, we've kind of had enough, right? So. You know, from a high level, from a governmental level, from a corporate level, you know, that's, that's like a major, hey, you know, back off. You know, and it could be something along the lines of, you know, at some point, you know, people will be tired of this Mueller investigation. And at some point, unless they really come up with hardcore evidence, like that would be a Mars-Saturn hardcore pushback. Yeah,
0: right now, it looks like they're the closest they've come to it. So certainly the interest has peaked at this time. But you're right. It's going to have to consolidate at some point.
1: Right. And, and that's just one example. You know, there could be others. Saturn almost always represents the president, right? So it could be another, you know, hardcore pushback um, against Trump. Mm-hmm. So So that's on a collective level. There's real impatience with these Saturnian kinds of entities in our lives. That's about, it's about five days in, five days going out. Okay, how about the solar eclipse, January
0: 6th, Capricorn?
1: Yeah, that's a really, really interesting solar eclipse. Um, and the reason why it's interesting is because, number one, it starts off the eclipse cycle for this year. Number two, it's, the eclipse is going to be conjunct Saturn. Now, I went back a long time to find a solar eclipse that was conjunct Saturn. And I had to go back all the way to the year 1666. 666, Mm -hmm. right? This is the last time that we had this solar eclipse Saturn conjunction. And I thought to myself, this is interesting. Like, You know, at that, you know, and and in the year 1666, that's when that, uh, what's his name, Uh, Sabbatai Zvi, who at that point was um, sort of uh, uh, this kind of, you know, very, very powerful um, uh, Talmudic and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, Kabbalistic figure at that time. And he was basically crowned like the the Mosiah or the world savior in 1666. So that's the last time we had this conjunction. It's gonna be very interesting to see what happens um, during this eclipse from a social level, from a personal level, you know, eclipses always bring in some very, very interesting energy and have faded kinds of moments. And, you know, when we're dealing with Capricorn, again, we're dealing with our government, we're dealing with corporations, We're dealing with big money and the economy. So it's going to be a very interesting event to watch. This is going to happen in Trump's fifth house. That's where he has his children. And one of his kids, Don Trump Jr., happens to be a Capricorn. So, you know, we might see some very interesting things coming out around Don Trump Jr. right around that time.
0: Yeah, that's already starting to happen. So that would not be a surprise. Um, What about Uranus Direct January 7th? It's, you say it's the last time it's going to be in Aries going into Taurus, meaning it has to do with our, our environment, our physical environment.
1: Right. So this finally caps off the seven-year run that Uranus was in Aries, starting in 2011. Now, this past year, we did see it go into Taurus briefly, and then, of course, it went retrograde over the last couple of months. And as soon as it went retrograde and went right back into, uh, right back into Aries, we had the fires in California. You know, which was sudden, immediate, you know, extremely hot. Um, you know, it's, we, that's a whole other rabbit hole we can get into. But, you know, this is what happened during Uranus and Aries. Now it's going to go direct again. It was going to go direct and then move back into Taurus. And as soon as it went into Taurus last time, you know, we had the earthquakes. and We had volcanoes in Hawaii. It's big tectonic shifts. So for the next seven years we're gonna be looking at earth changes. We're gonna be looking at earth changes, we're gonna be looking at technology that changes the earth, right? One of the big debates is gonna be 5G, right? That's gonna change everything, 5G is a game changer. It's gonna change the sky, it's gonna change the air, it's gonna change the plants, the birds, everything. So we're having this radical you know, introduction of technology into earth systems and that's just one aspect. It's going to radically Reorient our relationship with money and resources So this uranus and taurus Transit is going to be a very big deal Now some of the good some of the good stuff that will come out of it Is that you know, we're going to have um, some a, a relationship Uh with uh, saturn. Well, let me let me take this back. Hold on a second So we've got saturn and capricorn um, Uranus will be in Taurus. So we're going to have right now, we've got this Saturn-Uranus um, uh, trine going on. And we're going to get some of that briefly when Uranus goes into Taurus as well. Um, so that's, you know, kind of a slower integration to some extent with new ideas and, you know, trying true structures and ways of doing things. But but I think it's going to be a, a pretty a pretty radical revolutionary time because We're dealing with primary substances. We're dealing with the Earth. We're dealing with means of transactions. And it's all going to change. It's all going to change with Uranus and Taurus.
0: Interesting. I mean, one of the things we talked about in our pre-chat was about a Harvard scientist who's starting to go more public with geoengineering. I mean, most people watching this are fully aware of chemtrails, and I think we're just starting to see the long-term impacts of what having aluminum, barium, and strontium dumped on our bodies, our land, our air for decades is, is resulting in, and, and I personally think that it's implicated in those fires in California. We're Now, if aluminum is part of what you use an ingredient in firecrackers and this looked like spontaneous combustion, there's some stuff going on. But what you told me I found incredibly disturbing because they're uh, passing it, they're going to be kind of promoting it or marketing it as an attempt to uh, dim the sun, our exposure to the sun. Well, the sun, granted, it goes through its own aspects. Where it has fuller and lesser radiation at any given time, we need the sun and its fullness for life on this planet, and so that I found scary.
1: Yeah, so the person that you're talking about is a guy by the name of David Keith, and he's uh, running a project at Harvard and has been for a while. It's all about geoengineering, and they just got the green light to begin to, you know, bring a lot of the stuff that's already in the chemtrails up into the upper atmosphere so that they can theoretically, you know, dim the sun. It's now, what most, what most people don't know is that we're actually headed into a solar minimum. Mm-hmm. And so with the solar minimum, temperatures are going to get cooler. They're going And so when we get into the solar minimum, they're theoretically going to have their kind of excuse as to why things are getting cooler because they're going to be dimming the sun, they're going to be going after global warming, climate change, now, this guy, David Keith, is really, he's he's more of a kind of a one-world missionary or, or a, you know, a one-world global government missionary than he really is, in some ways, a research scientist. Because one of the things he's talked about um, in, in detail is the challenges that he's had dealing with local governments to run these um, high-altitude experiments where they release this, you know, the material, and he basically says that, well, you know, this could be a real opportunity for us to, you know, move past local governments and create a global accord with this uh, opportunity to, you know, uh, help our environment, and in which case could bring us even closer to a global government. This is what he says. I, mean, I don't this think guy, that's
0: going to warm the hearts of too many people watching this.
1: Yeah, no, this is, this, is, this is really, this is the agenda. So everybody gets signs off on it. And by the way, they want to run this program for 100 years. That's how long they want to run this program for, 100 years. And unfortunately, you know, Trump seems to be behind the program. Yeah, we need to
0: stop this. I don't know what we can as as individuals do at this point, but I think it's something where we need to start um, maybe researching ourselves, uh, starting to contact whoever we can contact. I don't know what we can do at these really high levels, just like we don't seem to be able to stop chemtrails no matter how much knowledge is out there. But um, yeah, this is an agenda that really I find quite quite
1: frightening personally. Anything so I want to pass this along just so people don't feel like they don't have any power. Okay. Um, in Mill Valley, in San Anselmo, and in Fairfax, all three of those cities, which are in Marin County, they all push back on 5G. Yes. They okay? did. They won. So it's not, is it a bit, but in order to do that, the populace has to be really committed and unified and so it's not it, it's not as if we're we don't have any power we do have power but our but our power rests in our ability to be unified mm-hmm. so you know here in Texas where i'm living in Fredericksburg we're working on trying to get the fluoride out of the water well there there are five other cities not far from where i am that have all removed the fluoride from the water you know we're not powerless but we need to be united in our efforts to be able to make these changes and and i think potentially if we can get enough momentum that we might be able at a local level to determine what is distributed in the atmosphere above our city limits i don't think it's out of the question
0: I'm glad to hear that, Robert. So everybody, take heart in that one. I think you are right, and thank you for reminding us of what's going on in in Marin County. I appreciate that, and even in Sedona, we were pretty effective on the smart meter scene. So we can do it. We just have to join together and put some so a little elbow grease and effort behind it. Um, we have uh, here Venus Mars trying January 17th, and you say this is nice. Truth abounds, relationships, and love. Again, another one of these uh, breaths of fresh air this winter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, it's a really brief energy. It, it only lasts a couple of days, you know, maybe a day before, that day, a day after. But, you know, it's it's a certainly uh, warm, cozy. It's going to be, you know, uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, Venus and Sagittarius and uh, Mars and Mars and uh, Aries, uh, so it'll be a warm energy. Certainly, uh, if you wanted to, you know, cozy up during you know the cold winter months, you know, mm, that's that the time great, to do it. That'd be a good time to get away and go sit by a fire, you know, by hang up by a fireplace somewhere.
0: Well, it looks like shortly after that, there's a lunar eclipse, January 20th, 21st, uh, a little more exposed, we'll feel a little more exposed and vulnerable during that period of time. Any quick comment before we move on um, to this January 24th, 5th and 6th, Mars, Venus, Jupiter trying um, party? Let's have a good time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the lunar eclipse. um yeah, that's going to be an interesting eclipse because, you know, when the moon is eclipsed, we feel exposed on some level and vulnerable on an emotional level. Um, and it's also a way for us to, to kind of look at ourselves and look at, you know, where we're hiding out emotionally or, you know, where we can grow. And it's not necessarily, um, it, you know, it's, I don't think eclipses are bad, by the way. I think eclipses, You know, I want to take the negative connotation out of eclipses, but they can be life changing, and they can be life changing in very powerful ways. You know, I think eclipses are quite shamanic, mm-hmm. and they allow us to um, deal with moments in our lives that, that can almost be faded in certain instances. You know, with eclipses, some people will feel nothing, and other people will experience them very dramatically. So when we get into a lunar eclipse, it's around our emotions. Um, it's around how we're feeling. It's around mothers, maternity, and I would say in general, a sense of nurturing and bonding. And we might be seeing like areas in our, in our life or in the world in general where it's not happening, where it's not working, where there's a real disconnect. And it might be, we might see some stark examples of that during that time.
0: Okay, let's move on to Mars Venus Jupiter trine January twenty fourth, twenty fifth, twenty sixth. You say
1: this is a time to have fun. So a lot's right. happening around that period. Yeah, that, that's what we were talking about with that that yes. Moon and Leo aspect, right? Yes, that's a great time. The Mars Uranus Venus grand trine, which happens on the first of February, that's a very interesting grand trine because um, you know that's that's when we're dealing with. Uh, uh, the ability to, uh, again, sort of liven things up, take advantage, take a risk, uh, you know, form new partnerships, you you know, connect with new people. And it's very, very spontaneous. And one of the things in our culture that I think we've sort of lost touch with is kind of this potential for spontaneity and magic and connection. And uh, I think very briefly, starting off with, you know, that, uh, that first day in February, um, I think there's some real potentials because we're going to be in Aquarius at that point in time too. We're going to be moving out of the Capricorn energies. So it's more connected, collective, friend-oriented, social, right? So that's actually re- a really positive time to, to break out, branch out, and, you know, have, have some new some, some new energy coming into your life.
0: I think you also said when we were talking, this is a great time for the expression of creativity. Uh, anything new,
1: right? Yeah, anything new, anything you want to, like, you know, if you've got an idea, if you've got a project, if you've got something that you really want to, you know, give birth to right around that time in, um, in February, the first, first day in February, there's a lot of really electric, enthusiastic, encouraging energy to start, start something new. Yep.
0: Excellent. So now we move on in February to the 22nd and it says Venus, Pluto conjunction, sextile, Mercury, and Pluto, basically very intense. Shadows come out, but we're actually able to come together and talk about it. Give us more detail on that.
1: Yeah. So again, we're dealing with Capricorn energy because we have Pluto and Capricorn and Venus will represent our relationship to these These Capricornian entities—that's number one. Right, Venus represents relationship, so we're going to be looking at the power that these entities have in our lives, whether they're corporations, or judges, or politicians, you know, or parents to some extent. You know, it's a very, very kind of deep, intense, you know, look at our bond. You know, because in 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 one way, you know, like you know, people think, well, less government would be great. You know, less corporations would be great. You know, I mean, on some level, that sounds good. and makes a lot of sense. But when you really get into it and start to pull things apart, we realize that we're sort of bonded with these things at a certain level and that, and that we can't always throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. When we get into a Venus-Pluto conjunction, it creates a very intense dialogue with these um, ideas and these energies and these entities and out of it theoretically can come some form of transformation on a personal level when we deal with venus pluto conjunction it has to do with relationship and perhaps the compulsive or the obsessive components that our relationships have or the programs that we've had with relationships in our lives and always feeling like we need to be in a relationship or, you know, we have to have a relationship to make our life work. Well, the Venus-Pluto conjunction, you know, begins to bring other kinds of energies into that dialogue. And we transform our nature and our relationship with relationship potentially during that time. Now, the sextile with Mercury, Mercury will be in Pisces at that time. And that allows us to move into things with a sense of intuition, with a sense of, you know, feeling something else and being able to kind of know what the next step is or, you know, understand what we need to do on a non-intellectual level because Pisces isn't really, it's not really an intellectual sign. It's more of a feeling sign. Mm-hmm. So that sextile with Mercury brings in some energy that is, you know, sort of non-verbal. Uh, it is more empathic. Um, it's it's certainly, you know, more geared towards a spiritually oriented kind of focus or result. So it's an interesting mix. And during that time, again, you know, this is, you know, the 20 the 22 days are really interesting on calendars because they represent the sort of this this peak and this height of energy. You know, 22 is a master number. So we have a major aspect when I think this is kind of a major aspect on a 22 day, it's a pivotal day and there's a lot of there's a lot of change that can take place during that day. Sounds powerful.
0: Um if we can do, if we understand that in advance, we can actually really squeeze the most out of it and what I like about this particular forecast is that it, it it is punctuated with a lot of opportunity for connection, for becoming authentic, for standing up for ourselves. Um, and the illusion is embedded in it if we want to fall for it, but we don't have to. And at the same time, alongside it, we're still in a bit of a violent phase as well. So any final thoughts to kind of wrap up the
1: winter of 2019? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, one of the things that that, that I didn't, touch on a lot is that we talked about it a little bit with that kind of the messianic program. And we're going to have Jupiter squaring uh, Neptune for a lot of, you know, this, you know, fairly early part of this winter phase, right? Once we, once we get into February, um, latter part of February, Jupiter sort of moves beyond Neptune. But basically, from the beginning of January through the, the, the end of February, we're gonna get into that Jupiter-Neptune square. And that's an energy that can be really, it can be really hopeful on some level, but you also have to be very clear about what your hope is being built on and based on. Yeah. So, so it's, it, it, it's, it's you know, it could be, you know, tilting at windmills energy. It can be, you know, it could sound and look really great on the surface, you know, don't fall for a quick fix. You know, you know this, is a, this is, I think, one of the maxims of the Jupiter-Neptune square. This is the first two months. Don't fall for the quick fix. If it looks too good and it sounds too good, it pro- probably is too good. But I'd say, by and large, this, this winter will have some energy that's associated with it that gives us more of a sense of buoyancy and more of a sense of being able to handle things at a higher level that if we're willing to switch on our higher mind and all these things that we've learned, right, because we've been in a learning process for decades now, if we're able to switch that stuff on, that Jupiter and Sagittarius can really kick in and give us a much higher perspective and be able to deal with changes from a broad philosophical, at times accepting and positive perspective. So I think the winner of 2019 has the potential to be pretty positive and hopeful. And, and, uh, in general, I would say spiritual
0: i love it robert um this has been my favorite astro fix because of these dynamics because everybody's feeling so darn worn out over all, all this all that has happened over the last few years so i thank you for that i wish you a wonderful holiday season and uh until next time we'll send everybody along to you if they'd like to have a personal reading or join in with your webinar you have webinar coming up i understand I do.
1: yeah it, yeah it's called uh thinking astrologically and beyond And it's a lot of what I did at Gaia. And I know a lot of people still watch those episodes. So it's an opportunity to dive into that for six weeks.
0: Sounds excellent. Okay, Robert, thank you. We'll see you in the springtime. My pleasure, (laughs) Regina. Again, you can reach Robert by going to robertphoenix.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.